Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. My name is Kelly, and I love alcoholics. Thank you so much for inviting me to be here. Um, I have had so much fun. Um, More fun than you should have without your family. I just want to say that. So so thank you for having me. Um, It has been an incredible weekend, and this committee is so amazing. Um, I just love Callie and Liz and Dave and Mark and... uh, all of you have just done such a wonderful job of helping me feel at home here. And the speakers have been wonderful. Um, Jill told my story yesterday. Deb told my story yesterday. Um, I love being around that kind of really powerful dynamic recovery. So thank you so much for having me. Um, but like I said, I, uh, I love alcoholics. And um, I spent the thir- first 30-some years of my life learning some really, really sick tools for how to deal with alcoholics. I'm sure you have learned some of them, too. Um, I learned that you could yell and scream at them. That never worked for me, but I did it all the time. Um, I learned that you could beg and plead with them, and I loved that tool. It never worked, but I loved it. Um, I learned that you could write them letters filled with frothy emotional appeals. It never worked. Um, and I have a confession to make. Um, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous is not conference-approved literature in Al-Anon, um, but my husband's an alcoholic, so I thought I should read his owner's manual. And it says, this is the only quote I'm going to give you all day. It says in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, um, frothy emotional appeals seldom work. All the Ellen's know this. Seldom means sometime, right? So I hang a lot of hope on that word sometime because sometime it's just going to work. It hasn't. It's never worked for me yet. Um, The other tool I learned growing up that never worked but I used all the time and I really loved um, was to throw them out. X them out of your life forever. Um, Just get rid of them forever. And I loved that tool. And I threw him out probably, oh, easily, at least once a month. You know, and it never worked. I would have excellent resolve for about a day. And then he would come crawling back and he would bat those big, beautiful bloodshot eyes at me. (laughs) And I go, yeah, let's do that again. So imagine my surprise when I got to Al-Anon and there's like this whole other bag of tricks. It makes no sense at all. Um, I call them the four S's, and they really work. Uh, you get a sponsor, you sit in a meeting, uh, you do some service, you work these steps, and your life will get amazing. And actually, that's my life in a nutshell. So if you are on a very tight timeline this morning, that's my story. <laughs> if you have some time, I'll tell you the details. Um, I come from a very long line of untreated alcoholics. My mom's dad, my grandpa, was a freight train engineer from North Dakota, and they let him drive freight trains drunk all over this country. Nobody in my family knows if he died sober. My other grandpa, my dad's dad, 
was a North Dakota wheat farmer and, by every estimation, an alcoholic. He was one of those larger-than-life alcoholics. When, um, when there was parties, the party did not start till my grandpa showed up. He owned the fiddle, and he owned the liquor. Um, during Prohibition, he's our family hero. We still talk about this. During Prohibition, um, he ran liquor down from Canada into the United States to make sure your ancestors had what they needed. Um, I never met that grandpa. He died before I was ever born. He died when my dad was just a little boy. Um, and my grandma outlived him by 50 years. She never remarried when I was born. She moved in with us, and she and I shared a bedroom until I was 19. And she resented him and his drinking like it just happened yesterday, right up until the day she died. Now, we know some really sick people in Al-Anon, but I have never met anyone who can keep a resentment hot and fresh for 50 years after the guy is dead. So some people will call my grandma um, an Al-Anon, but as far as we know, she never, ever found Al-Anon. I would call someone like my grandma, somebody who desperately needs Al-Anon but never finds it, an alligator. And my grandma was the queen of all alligators keeping resentments like that. And I got to tell you, I learned from the best. So um, my mom and dad come from those families. Between them, they have 14 brothers and sisters. All of them, my aunts and uncles, are heavy drinkers or they're married to heavy drinkers. And some of them are um, dead from heavy drinking. Uh, my mom and dad found each other fast. They got married fast and they made babies fast. And if there was a manual for untreated alcoholics and untreated Al-Anons, that's exactly what it says to do. Find each other fast, get married fast, make babies fast. Not necessarily in that order, um, but that's what they did. They made five of us, me and my four brothers. And all of us are heavy drinkers, married heavy drinkers. And some of us are on the fast track to being dead from heavy drinking. I have one exception to that. About two years ago, I have a brother that was... Um, he was wife-ordered into treatment, and the miracle is that he actually went. Usually when wife orders happen, nothing, there's no follow-through. Um, but he actually went to treatment. Um, and for two years, he hasn't had a drink, but he is doing that white-knuckle recovery. Um, he doesn't care much for AA. He doesn't care much for big books and meetings and sponsors. Um, and that really breaks my heart because I have seen AA save people's lives. Um, the good news is in my sponsorship line, I, but there's this rule that says you are never allowed to say your first thought. So when I'm around him, I never say my first thought, which is get to a meeting. My, uh, my sponsor has a special rule for me. Um, I'm never allowed to say my second thought, which is a lot like my first one. But by the time I get to my third thought, I can say, well, God bless you. I know this is a deal between my brother and his higher power, and um, they're just going to work it out. And what I learned in Al-Anon, thank you, Al-Anon. You taught me that there are really only two ways that somebody gets sober. One is that they find a higher power, and two is they find AA, and AA helps them find a higher power. There could be more ways. Those are the two ways I know. And the saddest thing about both of those ways is that neither of them involve me. So my job is to keep going to meetings and keep remembering that it's not my business. And I have this memory like Teflon. It just slides right out. So I have to go to three meetings a week to remember that 
your life is not my business. So, so, um, that's my brothers. That's where I come from. Um, a little bit about growing up. Um, I grew up poor. Um, I, I, and I'm sure there are people in this room with the same story that I'm about ready to tell you, but, um, I, and my brothers, we ate out of garbage cans. Uh, not like you're thinking, not restaurant garbage cans. We ate out of, um, grocery store garbage cans and you can't do that anymore. They lock those garbage cans down. And I, um, I feel for the families that can't get to those garbage cans anymore. And I remember one time coming home from, um, dumpster diving and we had over 100 of those fanciest name brand, newest flavor yogurts. And I remember us lining those things up on the kitchen counter and it was like we had died and gone to heaven. Um, we ate roadkill. Not like you're thinking. We did not eat squirrels. Um, but if a car had hit a elk or a deer or a bear, uh, we were right there. And if I never eat bear again in my life, it will be too soon. My dad also loved um, politics. He loved to drag us off to these fundraisers for different candidates and um, barbecues and, and picnics. And I think probably because he could feed us at those things. Um, but I remember going to dozens of these things. And one time, I was probably 10 or 11, I was just so bored. I sat down next to the big glass pickle jar that they have um, that they put money in so everyone can see how much everybody loves this candidate or that candidate and all that money's in there. And I sat down next to that pickle jar and pressed up to the glass of that pickle jar was a check from my dad for $500. This is 1970s money, so that's like a lot of money. And I remember sitting there thinking, my God, we're eating out of garbage cans. And I know that check did not bounce. Uh, it was really important to my dad to look good to his friends. And so I need to just take a minute to thank every, if there's AA members here today, I thank you for every time you held an open AA meeting so that people like me could sit in rooms with people like you and hear you talk about how you really, really meant to bring the money home and how you really meant to feed your family. And alcoholism was just too strong. I needed to hear it every time you shared it because um, it has given me great healing and a little understanding for where my dad was coming from. So that's how I was raised. That's where I come from. It did not make any sense to me that everyone else got to have an alcoholic and I didn't get to have one. Um, so I went off to the local community college and I found him quite quickly. Um, the AA boys back home call him Jeff M., the Al-Anon women back home call him Java Jeff, and we'll get to that. Um, but I just called him handsome. He was this gorgeous thing with long, blonde, curly hair and tight, tan legs. And have to have a moment here. Kenny, are we melting down the equipment? <laughs> he was easy on the eye. Um, and we got married quite quickly. Um, we found each other fast. We got married fast. He didn't want to have babies. He wanted to go to grad school. And I said, you know, that's fine. He applied to bunches, and they all accepted him. And he picked one, and off we went. 
what we know today, I know he didn't know this background, but what we know today is the school he picked is always in the top two or three drinking schools in the nation. Yeah, it wasn't a Colorado school. You guys are some competition, though. So, um, so off we went to the school. I cannot think of anyone who was sober at this school. We were there for eight years. All I can remember is, is people drinking. And I know I should tell you uh, that the drinking days were awful, but mostly the drinking days were fabulous. They were fabulous, and then they were fabulous with fights, and then they were just fights. And it didn't help that we made babies in there about that same time. And I got to tell you, my husband says he's got the disease of more. And so we can't just get pregnant with one baby. We ended up pregnant with twins. I know it's like his sperm is alcoholic too, isn't it? <laughs> so. so we end up having these babies, and um, we had no family. So those babies forced us to work together in ways we never had to before. And, uh, and that's when the wheels really came off our wagon. And things got really bad, and I didn't know what to do. And I didn't want to tell anybody, but I had no clue on what to do. So I told a friend, and she said, oh, well, that's easy. You just need to be a better wife. I know. I know them spiting words now. I know that. <laughs> but back then, I didn't know. I just, I would have done anything. So um, I tidied up our house. I tidied up our kids. Um, I lost about, oh, 30 or 40 pounds, which was very sexy if you think famine is sexy. Um, and I thought I would tidy up the budget. I thought I'll track every dollar going in and out. And, you know, that will help us figure out our budget. And what I know today after being in Al-Anon for 15 years is that when you start tracking the budget, it's just another way to put a noose around the addict's neck. You're now, they still get what they need, but you've just now made it a little bit more complicated. So things got um, substantially worse for us. Um, but thank you, God, he graduated and he got a job, two fabulous things. Um, and we packed up everything we owned and those two little babies, and we headed off to this little, tiny, flea-bitten town of Helena, Montana. And I hated everything about it. Um, today, I still live in that town, and I love everything about it. Um, but I know, I know why God put us there. I know um, that God knew Jeff and I were about ready to lob hand grenades into our relationship until there was nothing left but dust. And if we were ever going to survive, we needed to be around recovery that was just so on fire. And that's the kind of recovery we have in Helena, Montana. And if you're ever in Helena, Montana on like a Monday night at 7 p.m., I would love you to come to my home group. Um, it's the Good Grief Al-Anon group. <laughs> 7 p.m., please join us. Um, but when we first got to that town, it was awful. I hated everything. I quit my job to be a stay-at-home mom with these little babies. Uh, my husband would go off to work, and when he would come home from his very stressful day at work, all he really wanted were the three Bs. He wanted to see his babies. He wanted to watch basketball. And he wanted to drink beer. And instead, he got the fourth B waiting for him by the front door. <laughs> you guys are sharp for this hour of the morning. <laughs> yes. Rhymes with witch, for those of you who didn't get it. Um, so I'd be waiting there for him, and he would come in, and we would put those babies to bed. And as soon as they were asleep, we would have just knock-down, drag-out fights. And our babies were very small when we lived in that home, but 
One of them remembers having a nightmare of a train crashing through our house. And it could have just been a nightmare, or it could have been her parents. You know, if there was a manual for untreated alcoholics and untreated Al-Anons, it would say in that manual, pretend the kids don't know. And if the kids say they're noticing that dad's always uh, sick in the morning and mom's always crabby, you tell them, shut up, that's not really happening. We do our kids such a disservice raising them in untreated alcoholism and untreated Al-Anonism, and then we lie to them and tell them it's not really happening. Um, we were not always able to keep all those fights after hours. We, um, I remember having a horrible fight on a Sunday afternoon, and our kids were maybe five, maybe six. And I sent them down the hall to their bedroom so that they wouldn't have to hear us fight. Now, people two blocks away could hear us fighting. But I thought, well, you know, I have denial working in my favor. So I sent them down the hall. We had this horrible fight. And my husband finally stormed out and slammed the door. And I went down the hall to check on our kids. And those little monsters had taken their color crayons. And they had colored red circles and green leaves. And they probably had eight or ten of these pictures of red circles and green leaves taped up and down our hallway. And I remember thinking, those little monsters are ruining the paint in the hallway by putting tape on it like that. And I burst into their bedroom and I said, what the heck? Although I said something way worse than that, a lot worse than that. I said, what the heck have you guys done? What's, what is that? And these four little eyeballs looked up at me and they said, Mama, those are pictures of mistletoe. Because mistletoe means love and kisses. No. I know, so here are these little babies trying to figure out the mystery of alcoholism. And they're doing a way better job than we were. Um, and I didn't know what to do. So when my husband came home, I said, things are bad here. We need marriage counseling. And he said, yeah, you're right. You're crazy. You should go. <laughs> I know, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> you guys already know that. Um, but I didn't know. Um, I went to marriage counseling by myself for almost two years. And towards the end, she invited him, and he sat down, and she said, Kelly is leaving you. I just thought somebody should let you know. And, you know, you could have just tipped him over with a feather. He had no idea that things were so bad in our home. Now, I don't know how he could possibly have no idea. I had been throwing him out for years. I found him apartments. I mean, circled apartments in the newspaper. This would be a great place for you. He would sleep in his office when I threw him out, and so I went out and bought him a pillow, a blanket, and a fifth of whiskey, because I'm an alligator, because I love him, because I hate him, um, so that he could keep that in his office for the times when I threw him out. And none of this was a sign to him that things might not be so good in our home. So this is my public service announcement on a Sunday morning for you. If you have a pillow, a blanket, and a fifth of whiskey in your office, and you're using it on a regular basis... Things are not going well for you. <laughs> That's what I know. So the married, so the counselor says this to him, and he like is so surprised, and he says, "Oh my gosh, we need marriage counseling." I didn't say duh, but I wanted to. 
Um, so off we went to find another marriage counselor who would work with both of us. Um, and if you have never tried marriage counseling, oh my gosh, it doesn't fix alcoholism at all. Um, but it is a hoot. Oh my gosh, you walk into this really tiny counseling office and um, the counselor says, so Kelly, tell me what's been going on. And I would just vomit everything he was doing wrong and how he was doing it wrong and how many ways he did it wrong this week and variations on that theme. And I loved it. You know, the marriage counselor would just sit there with his hair blown back, you know. <laughs> and I would leave those counseling sessions going, well, that went well. <laughs> and Jeff's just stunned. Um, and after about three or four visits, we walked in and that marriage counselor said, you know what, Kelly, you do not need to come back. And I said, of course I don't. I am the good one. I already know all of this stuff. You need to spend all of your time with Mr. Bad Behavior over here. And the marriage counselor said, um, um, actually, no. No, um, your rage and bitterness and ire and anger is just poisoning this process. Please, please do not come back here. I stand before you the only person I know of who's been kicked out of marriage counseling. <laughs> I have talked in lots and lots of places. Never one time has anyone come up and said, oh, yeah, me too. Never. Um, so I'm the only one I know that flunked out of marriage counseling. And looking back, um, that's probably when I won the crown from my grandma. You know, She might have been the queen of all alligators, keeping a resentment hot and fresh for 50 years. But I flunked out of marriage counseling, and I don't know anybody else who's ever done that. So I left, and I never went back. I have no idea what my husband did. But I do know that about 10 months after that, he came home one day, and he said, Oh, my gosh, you know what? I think I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> and I turned on him, and I said, Oh, yeah, I can think of another A word. <laughs> You guys are sharp. Because I knew he wasn't an alcoholic. I knew it. He did not drink like my family. He did not drink like my brothers. He still had a job. He still had a home. He still had a loving wife at home. <laughs> so he couldn't possibly be an alcoholic. Um, but he insisted. And he um, off he went to, what do you guys say, trudge the road? You went off to trudge the road to happy destiny, and I did not. You gave him a new design for living, and I had the same old design, which was um, I pick at him in the morning, we pick at each other in the afternoon, and by dinner we have a knockdown drag-out fight, and he goes and sleeps in his office, and I get the big bed, alone but victorious. And that's the design I had. And I don't know what you guys do in those ANA meetings. <laughs> But he stopped participating in the fight. He stopped picking up his end of the rope. It's like, it was like playing tug of war by myself. And you pull and you fall down and then you're madder. And if you want to make a mad person madder, you put him around a happy person. And my husband got happy in AA that first year. And I got madder. 
And after a year of living that way, he came home one day and he said, I deserve to be happy. And he moved out on me, the good one. And that's when I thought, you know, I better look into this Al-Anon thing. Um, he had mentioned Al-Anon somewhere during his first year of recovery. Um, and that was a bad day for him. If you want to know if you... <laughs> If you want to know if you have an alligator at home, go home today and mention that they should go to Al-Anon. And we'll see tomorrow how many limbs you still have. So he mentioned Al-Anon somewhere in there, and I knew I didn't need Al-Anon. I'd done nothing wrong. He had done everything wrong. Why should I be punished? And it seemed like hell to sit in the church basement with a bunch of gray-haired old coots to me. Um, it looked to me like um, if you have a teenager who misbehaves in high school, you send them to detention. I just figured if you had an alcoholic who misbehaved at home, you would just send them to a church basement, and when they behaved, you'd let them out. Um, so it made no sense to me that I would ever need to go to a meeting. But once he moved out on me, I thought I should at least get the brochure to look into this Al-Anon thing um, because I didn't believe alcoholism was our problem. So um, I found my way through a series of miracles to an Al-Anon meeting, and I just, I walked in, I said, I need the brochure. They said, have a seat. We'll get you one. They didn't say the part about after the meeting. So I sat down and I waited for the brochure, and they started a meeting. I know, it was just as awful as you were thinking. <laughs> oh, my God, there's people talking, and they're all talking, and, and I'm not listening, and you know, I knew quite quickly I did not want what you had. It looked to me, no offense, Al-Anon, um, it looked to me like God had just scooped me up and plopped me down right in the middle of the sisterhood of comfortable clothing. <laughs> You all were wearing flip-flops and sweatpants, and you were saying things like, my husband's in jail, ha, 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 you know, and everyone would laugh, and I'm like, you people are not taking this thing seriously, and this was deadly serious to me. My husband had moved out. My family was disintegrating, so I knew I did not want what you had. I couldn't hear a word you said. I don't know why. Why in God's name was I able to hear the very last person who spoke? Um, she said, try six meetings. If it works, great. And if it doesn't work, well, at least you'll know. Why did I hear that? Why did she speak? Um, she was very old, um, very tired. She could have said, this newcomer is so full of herself, I'm not going to say anything. Or I'm just too tired tonight. Or we always say that six meeting thing, I'm, why bother tonight? And I often wondered where I would be if she'd chosen to not share. And I know a lot of us go to meetings and we never open our mouths. And I think that's fine. I mean, if you're here to just sit and listen and take, I think that's perfect. You do that your whole life if you need to. Um, but I have to tell you, my God has your voice. And when you choose to not share in a meeting, I don't know what, what I'm missing. So if you're a person who doesn't share, um, I would challenge you this week to just try this week and see what happens. You have no idea whose life you might be saving. So she said six. 
in my town, we're very lucky. You can do six meetings in a week. And so I thought, I'll just get this done in a week and figure this out. And so I, the very next day, there's a noon meeting. And I walked into that noon meeting about a minute early. And I walked in and somebody I had never seen before said, hi, Kelly. And this wall of shame and humiliation and embarrassment just came pouring down on me. Um, now, I have to tell you, I actually had seen that guy the day before. He had somehow been at that meeting where I thought all those ladies were looking kind of dowdy. Well, because he had a mustache and a beard, and I threw him in with a bunch of them. So, so of course, they looked just a little dowdy. Um, so he'd just been at the, my meeting the night before. And um, he was just um, doing what we do. He was just welcoming the newcomer. He remembered my name, and he was welcoming the newcomer. But in my head, all I could think of was, oh, my gosh, if there was a manual for untreated alcoholics and untreated Al-Anons, it would say, never, ever, ever let anyone know the nightmare in your home. And here this person I thought was a total stranger knew my name, and I was sitting in an Al-Anon meeting, so everybody knew the name of the problem in my home. And I was just sure somebody would tell my husband's boss and he would lose his job and we would lose the house and we'd be living in the car. I was just sure that um, I had really, really blown it this time. So I just sat in that meeting and I remember my eyes getting all watery and kind of that red feeling coming up my neck and I just was sure I'd screwed everything up. And about 15 minutes into that meeting, um, it dawned on me that yes, yes, I had indeed screwed everything up. But once the secret is out, you can't unsecret a secret. Once the truth is out, it's out there. And the gift of that is you never, ever have to live in the lie again. When things are horrible in your home, you never have to pretend they're perfect. You can just say they're horrible in your home. And I remember having that thought. And I remember taking this deep breath and my shoulders relaxing. I remember just sitting back in that chair and being able to breathe. And that's why I kept coming back. I still did not want what you had. You guys were very weird. You speak in code. You say things like, oh, seventh tradition, uh, higher power, got to work the steps, you know, tradition three. What? what are these things? So I knew I did not want what you had, but I wanted to be able to breathe. I wanted that feeling of this, this cinder block that had been sitting on my chest just lifted whenever I sat in a meeting with you. So one hour out of 24, I would have that feeling. So I kept coming back. And, you know, you hang out with you guys long enough, you kind of wear on people. Um, <laughs> and I just started doing what you guys do, and I did those four S's. I got a sponsor, sat in a meeting, worked the steps, did some service. And I got to tell you, my life got ridiculously, ludicrously, extravagantly better. And if you're new here today, you're like, man, she just oversold that. But if you've been here any amount of time, you're sitting there thinking, I wonder why she just downplayed that. Because you know what's about ready to happen to those newcomers. It's going to be fabulous. Um, and I didn't know what to make of all the fabulous stuff that started happening. Weird stuff started happening. I was just doing those four S's. Um, and bizarre things started happening for us. For example, um, my husband moved back. We had this very small but busy family, and we had one car. And we worked so hard to make that one car work for us. Um, but we were so busy, we would actually have to rent a second car to get through some of our days. 
So I started praying to God, you know, you've got to help us figure out how to do this because uh, we're never going to have a second car. Um, if there was a manual for untreated alcoholics and untreated Al-Anons, it would say, fine, have a bank account, but you better not have any money in it. And that was our story. So we would never have a second car. Um, and one night we were out to dinner with some friends, and as we were finishing, the wife turned to her husband and she said, oh, tomorrow, dear, don't forget, you need to take that broken down Subaru down to the junkyard. And my husband looked at me, and then he turned to them and he said, you know what, we believe in being of service. <laughs> And um, he offered to take that junky old Subaru down to the junkyard. And so the very next day he went and did that. These people were so happy to have somebody help them. And my husband was true to his word. We did take that Subaru down to the junkyard. We actually drove it for about three years first. <laughs> and there was nothing wrong with that Subaru that a quart of oil a week did not fix. And there was some duct tape in there, too. But... Um, so who has that happened to them? I mean, that's just an amazing thing to have happen. I remember just beyond my wildest dreams, this is happening. Um, and lots of things like that started happening for us. Um, I started praying that my family could have a little camping weekend in the woods um, to kind of make up for all of the bad, horrible memories my kids had of growing up. I wanted them to have like one weekend that they could remember and say, remember that time we went camping? Remember that time we had a family vacation? Um, so they, they wouldn't just be telling stories about the fights. So I started praying that my family could have a little weekend camping in the woods near home. And um, about that same time, I got a call from a little tiny town. And they asked if I would come and do some contract work for them. Um, it would be about two weeks. And I remember thinking, you know, I've been in Al-Anon long enough to know you don't leave your family for two weeks for just anything. Um, so I called them back and said I couldn't. And they said, why don't you bring your family? We'll cover housing. We'll cover food. You just uh, pay for the plane tickets. Now, I should tell you that that little town was in the Virgin Islands. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Who has this happen to them? All I'm doing is the four S's. I sit in a meeting, got a sponsor, work the steps, do some service, and these things start happening for us. Um, so my husband and I, we sat down with our computer and looked up the price of plane tickets, and there's no way, because we still had that little bank account. But before I could call them back and tell them no, a little town about an hour from ours um, called, and they said, would you come and do some contract work for us? We can't pay very much. We can pay just about that much, which was exactly the same price as those plane tickets. Exactly, like within $5, the same price as those plane tickets. So this little beat-up, broken-down, alcoholic family got on a plane, and we spent two weeks in a five-star resort in the Virgin Islands. I know. I just, you know, so many things like this started happening to us, I had to start calling them miracles. It is like God had this dump truck of miracles and he just backed that thing up to our house and he was just dumping and he's still dumping and what I know is that he probably always had that dump truck and he probably has always been trying to deliver it and I've been that mean old lady sitting on the front porch saying get that thing off my lawn and I don't know what you did to me in Al-Anon I don't know 
if you just kept me so busy, I couldn't see the dump truck coming. Or, or maybe you just wore my edges off. I don't know. But what I know is that that dump truck is here and it's still dumping. I mean, I'm standing in front of you people in Greeley, Colorado, for Pete's sake, and there was a time when nobody wanted to hear from me, not even a marriage counselor. Um, I don't want you to think that I'm a Pollyanna and everything is just fabulous, everything's miracles. Because I know that that is not true. Um, about four months ago... Um, my boss of 11 years, my good, good friend of 11 years, my job is to help students who are in crisis. And my boss and I work, um, work together to help those students in crisis. And I left town for one day to go to a conference. And my boss and good friend of 11 years, he went and got a gun. And he killed himself in the most horrible, bloody, awful, violent way. And when something happens like that, you end up living in a deep, dark, cold pit called grief. And that's where I have been living for the last four months. And when you live in the pit called grief, you don't want to get out of bed. You do not want to get dressed. And you don't want to go to a meeting. And thank you, Al-Anon, for telling me for the last 15 years that when you feel like that, that's exactly where you need to be. So I keep going to my meetings. And you guys are fabulous. You share your experience, strength, and hope. It's amazing how many people have lived in this pit, too. And you share your experience, strength, and hope. And it buoys me up. Because what I know about grief is it has you by the ankles and it wants to pull you under. And what I also know is in a few minutes, we're going to get up and get into a circle. And we're going to pray. And you will have me by the hand while grief has me by the ankle. And I know that you will win. I've been in Ellen on 15 years, and I've seen it happen. I just don't know when you're going to win. I don't know how long somebody has to live here. But I'm going to keep coming back because I know that you guys are going to hold me, hold me up. So that's my life now. I think that's a big, fat Debbie Downer, so I'm not going to end on that. Um... I want to tell you about the biggest miracle that happened in my life because of recovery. Um, I did tell you that my husband moved back, um, but it wasn't a marriage. Um, we shared a house, but we didn't have a relationship. We didn't have a partnership. We didn't have intimacy. But what we did have is a home with no fights anymore. What we did have was kindness and politeness. And, you know, in my wildest dreams, I never thought the two of us could have that kind of thing in our home. All we had was fights. How could we be people that had kindness and politeness in our home? And I remember thinking, I could live this way forever. And we did. We lived that way for a long time. And then one day, um, I had to pick our kids up at three, and I got done with my work at two, and I thought, well, I'll, I'll go buy myself a cup of coffee. 
So I went down to our little coffee shop and I walked in and there was my husband in line to buy a cup of coffee. And I was like, great. Uh, what do you do? Um, do, you, do you handshake? Or do you high five? Is this like a side hug kind of thing? I mean, we really weren't married people. Um, and we got our coffee and we sat down and we talked to each other for like 20 minutes. It blew us both away. In marriage counseling, we were required to talk to each other for five minutes every night, and we couldn't do it. And so here we are having coffee going, look at us, 20 minutes, look at us. So we started meeting for coffee a couple times a week, and uh, we would talk to each other for 20 or 25 minutes, and sometimes we'd be late picking up the kids. We were having so much fun. And then coffee got pretty expensive, so we started meeting at home for coffee. And one day I went home at 2 in the afternoon to have coffee with my husband. And he didn't want coffee. <laughs> wink, wink. Wink, wink, wink. Hanky, panky. Oh, for Pete's sake, he wanted to have sex. Can I say that, Kenny? We're okay? All right. All right. Um, and all I wanted was politeness. In my wildest dreams, all I wanted in my home was politeness. And I walk in and my husband wants hanky-panky. And there's no way that's happening. <laughs> this is, I just wanted politeness. There are parts of this body that would never, ever remember how to do something like that. You know, but thank God there's Al-Anon. Because you taught me if ever you're dealing with something that's confusing, there are some tools, right? First tool, get to a meeting. I know that'd be weird, wouldn't it? <laughs> Hold that thought, honey. I'll be right back. <laughs> so I did not do that one. Now, the other tool you gave me was to call my sponsor. There's no way I'm calling my sponsor. Oh, my God, have you ever met an Al-Anon sponsor? Oh, my God. They're these sweet, kind, gentle, kind of gentle women. You would, you would never say the word sex to an Al-Anon sponsor. Oh, my God. Their heads might pop off. Or worse, or worse, they would give you one of those horrible Al-Anon trite-isms like, well, dear, when you get busy, you get better. Or something worse like, you know, oh, just be where your hands are. You're like, no. <laughs> so there is no way I'm calling my sponsor. So I did the other thing that you taught me to do, and that's to invite God in. Whenever you're faced with something confusing, you invite God in. And so there's my husband. He's doing the boy thing and the hands thing, and, and, I'm, and I'm praying. He's having a moment, and I'm praying, dear God, this was never going to happen for us, ever. But if you want this to happen, you better show up. And then he did. Wink, wink. And then we did. Wink, wink. And now we still do. 
wink, wink, wink. And God still shows up too. Now, I had a woman come up to me one time and she said, oh my God, do you realize from the podium you just talked about having a three-way with God? <laughs> a menage a trois with God? I know. When you put it that way, it, it sounds kind of bad. And, you know, are you sure you want to be doing that? And I had to think about that. You know, but is there really something so sacred or so profane about our bedrooms that we wouldn't want our higher powers to be there? Is there any place in my life that I wouldn't want my higher power to show up? And, you know, the Allen on 12 Steps says we practice these principles in all our affairs. And if you're having an affair with your husband at 2 in the afternoon, for Pete's sake, that's exactly what Lois was thinking. So, um, so yeah, so I think I'll still share it until, until you stop asking me to share it. Um, and what I have learned in recovery is that there is nothing so sexy as recovery. You know, some people go to the gym and they work on their bodies so that they can kind of be buff for whomever, be sexy for whomever. But when we go to meetings a couple times a week, we get spiritually buff. We get spiritually fit. And that is so attractive. You know, when um, when you open a meeting or you set up chairs or you make the bad coffee, that's sexy. When you put on an event like this, that's like sexy on top of sexy. Raise your hands if you have something to do with this meeting. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> sexy person, sexy person. Yeah. When we see you tomorrow with a silly grin on your face, we're going to know what happened overnight. Okay. Very sexy. And when my husband takes a meeting into the prisons or when my husband works with a newcomer, that's hot. I tap that. And when my husband comes home smelling like really bad AA coffee, yeah, you too? That's an aphrodisiac for me. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, remember the days when we were dating, we put a little dab of perfume behind each ear in hopes of just catching anybody? And then we thought, you know, I really like the drinker, so we put a little dab of Jack Daniels here and here. Ah, remember that? So if you're a dater, here's what I want you to do. Try a little dab of really bad AA coffee. See if you can't catch a sober one. So. Oh, that's 13-step thing. Sorry, I take all of that back. So um, I am almost out of time up here, and we probably melted down the equipment anyway. Um, I want to leave you with what you shared with me when I first got to Al-Anon, and that is, you know, don't leave five minutes before your miracle. And I would add, do not leave five minutes before your dump truck of miracles. Because if there is a dump truck for me, and there is nothing special about me, there has to be a dump truck for you. And I would add, do not settle for your wildest dreams. Because if I had settled for my wildest dreams, we would have figured out how to live with one car, and instead we got two. If I had settled for my wildest dreams, I would have had a weekend camping trip in the woods with my family. Instead, I got two weeks in the Virgin Islands. 
If I had settled for my wildest dreams, I would have had a husband who was a kind and cordial roommate. And instead, I got Java Jeff, my boy toy. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.